0: Hello and welcome to The Unseen Shows, a new podcast series by Visual Artists Ireland. My name is Joanne Laws and I'm Features Editor of the Visual Artists News Sheet. This podcast series features interviews with artists whose exhibitions have been either cancelled, postponed or sealed behind closed doors due to the closure of all cultural venues in March in response to the coronavirus pandemic. The continued absence of physical encounters with art in public spaces has prompted us to find other ways of communicating with artists about their work. We feel that the distinctive pace and sensibility of the audio format provides a welcome break from excessive screen time that many of us are experiencing during lockdown. Given that we are disseminating these podcasts without accompanying visuals or moving image, technically these exhibitions will remain unseen. However, we hope these conversations will illuminate in other ways, making visible the rich inquiries that underpin each artist's wider practice. The third podcast in this series features an interview with Anya Phillips about her exhibition Buttered Up, which opened at Mark Gallery in Dublin on the 6th of March, less than a week before the nationwide lockdown. I spoke to Anya in early May via Zoom about the concepts and values underpinning this show and her wider practice.
1: Hi, Anya. Hi, Joanne. Great to talk to you. You too. How things? Good. Um, yeah, I'm here in Galway and uh, I have an apartment sort of in a second floor apartment block looking out over the Dublin, the motorway coming from Dublin with no cars on it for months. It's so sad. It's the human flow has stopped.
0: Um, yeah. And I know that your um, your exhibition in March at the moment is kind of effectively in limbo, it's kind of sealed behind closed doors. Um, So I wanted to ask you about um, the exhibition and the fact that it centres around your um, older, your existing performance buttered up. And thankfully, the live performances did take place on the opening night uh, before the closures. Um, But like many of your, your works, this piece frames the domestic realm as as a kind of visceral underworld and as the site of entrapment and invisible labour. And we've actually profiled that exhibition in the May-June issue of the Visual Artist News Sheet, um, which we felt was quite timely because it kind of echoed the sense of domestic entrapment that we're all enduring during lockdown. So maybe you could just uh, discuss some of the concepts that underpin that piece. I suppose these are kind of concepts
1: and themes and perspectives that I've been working on for so many years of my life as an artist really and even when I think back to when I was young I was still I was exploring these ideas they're sort of I suppose the core themes of my practice really and they arise sort of from a mix I think of a very political feminist kind of activist way of being in the world that's always I've always had that too you know ever since I was a young one that sort of feminist politicalized feminism has been at the center of my practice so it's inform- so those themes are sort of informed by that but mm-hmm. also from my own personal experience really and um I've you know I grew up my own childhood family growing up in in Dublin in the 70s and 80s um in Ireland you know uh, with very sort of traditional uh, roles especially for women which really mm-hmm. uh, I suppose it affected me, um, as a young woman growing up at the time. And, you know, I was the sort of precocious young one as well that, like my mother used to, uh, uh, threaten, she put me in a magazine laundry, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> so those kind of ideas were still very much current, yeah. um, when I was growing up and, you know, there was no contraception, there was no divorce. There was, well, we all know about the, uh, reproductive rights in terms of abortion as well so like mm-hmm. all of those issues really um affected me and um, my own mother was she was a, uh, you know the mother of five children one of whom uh, was a very severely mentally handicapped boy my brother um mm-hmm. and who sadly passed away now but she struggled i just oh, i just observed her her whole life struggling with yeah. that domestic entrapment and and so so little support um in term you know from from society and even from our own family, you know, broader family, it was just so difficult. And I suppose my all my sisters were affected by that, myself and my sisters. And and then, you know, I ended up then um, bringing up, uh, creating my own family in a very remote uh, side of a mountain in East Clare for whatever, uh, multiple of reasons. And, you know, I ended up there and um, I grappled with the with those struggles all through those years of the 90s and the 2000s, really wearing my own daughter's um uh, those kind of often very gendered struggles too of raising children in in a, in rural Ireland and um, mm-hmm. trying to keep an academic and artistic career going, you know, trying to sort of uh, keep that alive within myself. And like that, that conflict, a kind of a, a dialectical conflict, you know, was really at, at my, you know, at the bottom of my own lived experience mm-hmm. um, as a woman, but as an artist. And I, I, like, I just poured that into my work over those years. And I found that, the best way of all of dealing with struggles in life is to put them into your art. And and the best way of, of being an artist is to is to use what you're going through in your life because it's everything is connected then. Everything is interconnected. And I suppose that, you know, those are the yeah, the sort of so that I, I can see looking back, you know, I wouldn't have even known that at the time often, but I can see looking back how those themes are really at the centre of everything I've been doing all through my, you know, adult career, artistic career. And and that f- domestic frame, though, like I, I sort of am fascinated with it as well. And as you say, we're all in it at the moment. We're all entrapped within it. But it is also a space of creativity and it's our, it's our private space. And we all need the private as well as the public, as humans. Um, uh, it's it's impossible to escape it really. Um, our need for it, and it's I'm exploring. I suppose my work has also explored the potential of that framing, the domestic frame in which we can creatively express the multiplicity of who we are. Whether you know, in my case, it's as as a woman is very much gendered because I've always, you know, all my work has been so gendered, and I've always felt gender to be at the centre of my lived experience and who I am, and, and as an artist as well. But um, but whether we're, you know, whatever gender we are, we all have to explore that space of creative potential and a space of transformation. And my Buttered Up show really is like explores that in so many ways, like using butter as a medium in which to transform uh, into another, um, into other aspects of who we are and even to transform space. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, so like all those ideas, anyway, are in, in that show that's currently locked up behind closed doors.
0: <laughs> I mean, there is a, a definite sense um, of the idea of metaphor, as you say, this idea of transformation, but there's also kind of really strong use of banality and just humour, you know, um, and there's also um, across all of your work, I do think that there's a really strong aesthetic component um, and this might often involve some sort of public spectacle or pageantry and um, so... I just wondered how you kind of uh, go about balancing the, the political aspect and the politicised feminist aspect that you're describing, along with just the kind of aesthetic concerns in your work and how it's, how it's going to look, even in terms of costumes and design and those types of things. Yeah, well, that's really interesting because I think about that an awful
1: lot. And, um, well, I sort of break those break those three aspects of a work of art down and first the political being the purpose or the function of the work like that's what drives the work and it's the kind of necessity for making it for me it's like a desire to make change happen or to help people see uh, the world uh, according to me the way I see it I suppose and and helping uh, my audience participants I often think of audiences as participants too um, and to sort of experience life and my uh life in the world in a, a way or according to my own way of seeing it so that's that's the engine really that kind of drives the work for me that put the political necessities sort of behind it and then you know concepts and the themes are the rationale or the core the core meaning the feeling of the work like what you're getting from it at a deeper level the philosophies like that's kind of at the heart of the work so a good good art can't survive without Go themes and concepts as well that are like at the heart of it, um, mm-hmm. but the aesthetic as a visual artist for me, the aesthetic, the form, the appearance of the work, how it looks, the shape of it, is this the it's the sensation. To, it's the almost like the visual and physical sensation of what we get from mm-hmm. the work, and um, is draws the viewer in and draws the participant, the viewer participant it's seductive sometimes I use beauty um uh, as a seduction
0: Um,
1: and uh which I think is often interesting because I'm I'm an academic as well and I came across uh recently in the writing of Adam Phillips the psychoanalyst to how all teaching is seduction and but I think all (laughs) art is seduction you know we we have to seduce otherwise why would why would our students or our Viewer, viewer participants be interested and um, beauty ca- is an arresting and unsettling thing. It's not just something that's pretty, that makes mm-hmm. us feel good. It's often close to ugliness. It, it's, it. Um, it's, it, but it sucks us in. It's compelling. And um, I think humour, uh, for, for me, humour is really important, uh, but it's mm-hmm. a certain type of humour. Like it's not just about, uh, well, it's about pleasure and joy too, but it's not just about that. It's putting two incongruous parts together, like a, another kind of form of dialectical thing. That because, um, like, humour in the way I see it is something that almost violates our mental patterns and our expectations. Like, it can be like a shock in yeah. a shocking presentation of an old idea, like using butter um, to to uh, you know plaster in the crevices of a couch so that. You know, I dive into that and, and it's lubricated into this sort of semi-sexual thing as well. Like, and, um, and that's kind of, it's, it's absurd and humorous and it's delightful as well in it, the physicality of it. Um, but it's like metaphor and, uh, and like the materials themselves are beautiful like butter is such a beautiful material. It's so luscious and delicious. And it's it's one of the most, one of our fundamental materials are of our, as Irish people, mm-hmm. one of the things that we create, you know, the outputs, our products, as a people that's revered all over the world, you know. It's, um, yeah. And it, it's the color of it, the texture, the touch, the feel of it is so lovely. Well, you know, I think so. <laughs> Not everybody would. Um, But, uh, you know, so that's what, you know, that's so I'm always, I'm thinking of all these things in my work. And, and as you mentioned costume too, like I've always used costume as a really powerful visual element in in terms of the appearance of the performer. And Mm -hmm. um, I think it communicates so much what we wear, how we look, communicates so much. And in such complex ways on such complex levels, and that it's really useful. And interesting to explore that and work with it um and push it to its limit as well and you know uh, in in terms of making an original making original creative new ways of thinking about costume um and setting to performance and all of those elements
0: um yeah one thing I, i did want to ask you actually now that you mention it um the idea of um One of the main challenges of live performance is actually documenting um, ephemeral events for posterity or for the archive. Um, So maybe you could give us some insights into some of the documentary strategies that you have previously used. Um, Things like maybe photographic documentation or maybe the idea of writing and the role of a, a witness writer in preserving the moment of live encounter and maybe also more recently your use of film to record performances
1: well i've tried it all over the years and um i i think the, all forms of documentation are sort of a little bit somehow um it can be limited, you know, uh, because a live performance is such a a visceral experience on so many levels, physically, uh, emotionally, um, in in terms of the communication that exists in the live space between the performer and the audience participant. There's just so much going on in a live context that it's hard to record that or um, to boil it down, you know. Um, But I, I think um in a general sense digital platforms have been so incredibly useful i'm so glad i was as a performance artist i was i've been kind of working during a time when i could create i can create uh digital platforms for my work like websites and social media mm-hmm. platforms because it's just such a great way to get the work out there on so many in so many different formats and so it's the multiplicity of formats can sometimes be helpful you know a bit of writing a bit of some photography some video you know some drawings some paintings some uh, uh, audio recordings so you you it's it's kind of then it's it's all of it coming together can really give a holistic sense of the work Mm -hmm. and but video itself is is difficult um because it it's somehow like a video of a live performance can somehow be disappointing and be flat. So I've, I, I suppose I've moved into making dedicated video artworks of, from live performances subsequent to them.
0: They become a, an artwork in their own right, I guess, as, a, as an image work.
1: Yeah, in and of themselves. And yes. so, like, for example, uh, you know, I've been performing this piece for a few years and um, since 2016, Buttered Up. And uh, mm-hmm. then in 2017, um, I got an Arts Council grant to um, make a film and asked my friends and collaborators, uh, Vivian Dick, Jane Talbot, Slava Key, to work with me in, in creating the the setting, the... Uh, scenography, the cinematography, the sound design, and um, creating the recreating it, but in a new way for that new uh, medium. And mm-hmm. um, so, it, so the performance gets transformed into a new form of it of itself, really. But it it's it kind of translates it in an, in a new way. So it's a bit different from the live performance, but it gives a kind of a some kind of feeling of it, and I think works really well. I'm delighted, you know, with this with this is a way of working that I'm definitely going to do more of in the future. Um, but yeah, so I think like photography also, you can take hundreds of photographs as the one performance and then have not one at the end that you actually think is really, you know, encapsulates what it was you were trying to do in that work. And um, so sometimes you have to set up a photograph after the fact as well. I've You know, I do that quite a lot. Or, uh, um, and... Yeah, sometimes I think that's why my own practice as an artist is so multifaceted or kind of miscellaneous in a way, because I've just had to learn and use all these different media and ways of working as an artist over the years to try and make it work in in terms of communicating what I'm doing in a performance work.
0: Um, But it's interesting to hear you talk about uh, collaboration and the fact that you're able to kind of draw on the expertise of um, people like... Uh, filmmakers or composers or uh, academics or fellow artists and performers. Um, So maybe, um, I don't know if you wanted to discuss uh, the importance of collaboration itself or the collaborative process within your wider practice.
1: Well I I think um, I'm a naturally social being and um, over the years I've been drawn always to working with others right back you know to when I was a student in NCAD in the 80s and um, I, I made big collaborative kind of spectacle political performances when I was president of the student union there and um, myself and Mark Joyce made a giant painting of the Mona Lisa and a big gang of us brought it down <laughs> to the doll you know it, uh, um, in opposition to the cuts that were being made I, I, uh, to the arts at the time and so mm-hmm. since then I've always done those kind of big group work and working with found ways of working with other people because I love it and it yeah. brings joy and it's uh, the the end result is always more than the sum of uh, of the elements I think um all of the works and projects that I've made over the years have been vastly improved by the excellence of others contributions to the work yeah. so and um, that's so uh Joyful to do. Um, I've learned so much from my um, collaborators and working with other people. It's developed my own practice so much, um, and I sort of, I suppose, I've come firmly over the years to really believe in interdisciplinarity as a way of being as an artist. And I think it's probably our all of our future really in the art world. I think you can see it when even going to the Venice Biennale, you see. Uh, Art has become so multifarious and so interdisciplinary, so hybrid, so many hybrid practices are are um, being created. Uh, in the at our moment in you know at our cultural moment and that sort of cross-disciplinary thing I think it's just really a wonderful way to make art and we're we're lucky again the times we live in because we have access to all this amazing technology to do that so um mm-hmm. and that's of course so collaborative it's so collaborative uh we always need others to work within these new disciplines as well um it's very you know to be just an artist on your own in a the ivory tower anymore it just seems completely anachronistic and um, um, so yeah that's uh, those are my thoughts on collaboration
0: um it's funny that you mention uh, being head of the students union and ncid because um i've been recently working on the, the van archive which extends back to 1980 with van's predecessor the ssi newsletter um, and I noticed that you're a, rev- a regular contributor and that you've, you've um, contributed to the SSI and BAN um, since the late 80s um, as a student. Um, and Also, in terms of your wider contribution to publishing, um, in, in 2015, you edited the book, Performance Art in Ireland, A History, which made a really substantial contribution to the field. Um, And you also more recently co-edited a special issue of Scene, which is a peer-reviewed international journal published by Intellect Books. Um, And this also focuses on performance art in Ireland. So um, finally, I just wondered if I could ask you about the role of writing and editing and publishing in your wider practice and whether you're aiming to situate contemporary performance practice within current critical discourse or whether you're thinking more about longer historical or archival trajectories?
1: Well, I I think my ambitions in writing were never that well thought through <laughs> in the sense of having those kind of very grand um, aspirations, but they sound amazing. And I think I would agree with both. And it would be amazing if writings that I've created in my life could f- fulfill those functions. But in, in more of a sort of reactive way to the art world that I was living in over the years, I, I've, I've written. Mm-hmm. So... I've I've created writing not because I ever thought of myself as a writer, but because I saw the necessity of it, because of the need to communicate what I saw maybe as being a dearth of uh, writing or, um, you know, sort of critical ways of thinking about performance in -hmm. relation to society and in relation to other disciplines. in the in the visual arts you know within fine art but also within broader disciplines like theatre too and and video and film and um, mm-hmm. which I'm really very much very interested in all of those disciplines and and where I work within them too so um so that's what I suppose the importance of writing for me has has been at its core and uh, when like in the, for example in the preparations for the book Performance Art in Ireland um, in 2015, myself and a group of others, including Amanda Coogan and Dominic Thorpe and Pauline Cummins and other practitioners of Performance Art in Ireland got together and we decided that we absolutely had to create a book because there yeah. was no writing available. There was nothing there, nothing out there for, for our peers, for us, for ourselves to understand the field, yeah. to grasp it, and for students as well who, who we as teachers, all of us being teachers, saw students re-performing the same things over and over again because they didn't even know that others had done done that before them. So so every new generation of students who were interested in performance were starting off at like the same base level and, and recreating the same type of works, over, you know, to try and develop their practices and uh, evolve the field in a way, you know. So anyway, the, the group of us who all got together in 2014 to plan for that book decided on me as the person who'd put it together because I just was... <laughs> I just done a PhD, and everyone reckoned, well, I could. Pro- I knew how to do it because I I finished a PhD and I got the PhD, so I must know how to make a book. <laughs> and so it was almost like an accident that I ended up putting that together. But I, I, again, it was such a collaborative work. So so many people contributed to that book. That's what made it great, really. And um, I was, you know, the collator really of sort of, of great contributions by others. And um, and in a way, that's where my writing functions now. Um, like. Uh, co-editing scene uh, with colleagues from the theatre world, Siobhan Gorman and Marie Kelly, is a work, again, with the interdisciplinarity in mind of bringing different fields and disciplines together uh, and uh, promoting performance across those disciplines of theatre, music, comedy, um and and other kinds of new fields that are emerging different uh, of course, digital platforms as well LARP, there's other kinds of new performance genres and formats that are only in their early stages of evolution and mm-hmm. like it's really interesting to see how a lot of these disciplines connect into uh connect across with performance art in its historical and traditional sense and the kind of performance art that's made now, which is much more sort of politically engaged and socially engaged practices, cross community practices. And there's just endless interesting connections and um, intertwinings of the themes and ideas and philosophies um, and critical theoretical perspectives uh, with these different types of performance so so I've become interested in all of these ideas through my writing as well and I've sort of I suppose yeah to sum up I've become a writer through having to do it not necessarily starting out being a writer or ever thinking of myself as one but it's writing is a very very useful way to bring us all together and bring our ideas together go and bring our fields and and our endeavors forward in new ways together I suppose.
0: Brilliant that's fantastic Anya. I'm happy to wrap up there if you are. Um, I I really like, thank you for your time today. I know you're really busy. You're coming to the end of the academic year with your students. So I just wanted to really thank you for your time. Um, It's always brilliant to speak to you.
1: Great. Well, thank you so much. Um, Like, as, as you said, you know, I've been uh contributing to visual arts Ireland and uh the sculpture society of ireland as it was before that since the 80s and i really i've always felt that the importance of having and um, that artist union that that organization for advocacy and supporting us as artists is just so important and i'm so mm-hmm. delighted to be able to you know as uh, support you as well in what you do um as an agency
0: You have been listening to The Unseen Shows, a podcast series by Visual Artist Ireland. These podcast interviews have been published every two weeks on SoundCloud. Where possible, condensed versions of some of these interviews will be published in the Visual Artist News Sheet. Special thanks to our production editor, Christopher Steenson, for audio editing and the music for the podcast.